Hello, and welcome to Final Show Films. I'm John, the executive producer here, and I've got a few pre-show notes for you. First, a reminder. All of the content we produce is available on our website at finalshowfilms.com, as well as youtube.com slash sensetaku, sensetaku.podbean.com, twitch.tv slash sensetaku, and on iTunes. We are only able to do the things we do thanks to the kind support of our Patreon donors. We give a special shout-out to our $25 tier supporters, Antitonic and Cat Waterflame. If you'd like to support us that way, be sure to check it out. Secondly, a thank you to the folks over at 411mania.com. They produce articles and content related to wrestling, MMA, movies, music, and gaming. Go check them out. We appreciate their support as well. And lastly, be sure to subscribe, comment, and rate, if possible, wherever you listen to or watch our content. It helps us know what you like, what you don't like, and helps us make more content. Feedback is always appreciated. With all that being said, sit back, relax, and enjoy. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Critical Thinking, episode 23, where this week we're talking about episode 23 of Critical Role, The Rematch. I'm John, at John A. Bates on Twitter, and with me today is Jack. Hey, everybody, I'm Jack. I'm at AltF4Gamers on Twitter. And Jeremy. Hi, I'm Jeremy. I'm J- at JThomas411Mania on Twitter. And this episode of Critical Role stars Orion Akaba as Tiberius, Laura Bailey as Vexalia, Towson Jaffe as Percy, Liam O'Brien as Vaxil Don, Marisha Ray as Keyleth, Sam Regal as Scanlon, Travis Willingham as Grog, and as always, Matthew Mercer as the Dungeon Master. Uh, Vox Machina, after completing the trials of Slayer, taken acquiring their marked brand as evidence of them joining the actual guild itself, meeting a, gi- meeting a Gyno Sphinx that is currently responsible for the development and progression of the guild, and found themselves uh, with Pike joining them for a week's time left to go uh, continue Keyless Armente, where they went up to Pyra, did some shit in the Fire Realm, and then came back. <laughs> if you want to know exactly what shit they did in the Fire Realm, go listen to last week's episode of Critical Thinking. <laughs> That's the quick version of the recap. That is the quick version of the recap. <laughs> that is fantastic. So. Last week, shit happened. <laughs> this week more shit happened let's talk about that exactly a lot a lot of shit happened this week so we have to you know we have to shortcut last week jump to this week because this week introduces everybody's favorite npc yours and mine we'll talk about it when we get there yep. uh so having gotten back from their short trip to pyra uh vox machina is reunited with a now refreshed scanlan they tell him what he missed, and he tells them that he spent a couple of days with Zara and some of the other tief- and some other tiefling friends of hers. And what he thought would be a quick drink turned into a three-day slumber party. The group finds this a little hard to believe, but Scanlan manages to convince them that he is in fact telling the truth. Tiberius takes a minute to feed Lockheed and has Keyleth evaluate his health. Uh, Lockheed is Tiberius's pet that he found the the pseudo dragon that he uh-huh. found last episode. Last, last episode. episode. Last episode. Yep. Yeah. Um, and we were like, dear God, Tiberius finally has a human element to it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that's right. <laughs> only only took six months. <laughs> only took 23 episodes. Um, see, the trick is you start as the orphan background in D&D and you have a pet 
at the very beginning that you can then ignore for 23 episodes. <laughs> <laughs> I like that you think that you, I, I like that you think that those uh, animals were only ignored for 23 episodes. <laughs> 23 is just the number we're on right now. <laughs> uh, um, uh, so yeah, uh, so uh, Keyleth looks over to Lockheed as Scanlan repeatedly shouts that he missed everything as each new revelation of something that he missed. Uh, the team discusses heading back to Emon as well as heading back to, as well as heading to Craghammer to get the money the money that's owed them there. Um, before leaving Vasselheim, however, Grog makes a request to find Kern and have a little rematch with him. Uh, Tiberius tells so this was the when they first got to Vasselheim, he fought with Kern and lost. Yep. Uh, feels like so much. It feels like so long ago that again we had like a month where we weren't recording. Yeah, I was good. <laughs> was it only a month? It felt like a lot longer than that. It was at least a month. But anyways, my fault. Mm-hmm. Yep, blame Jack. Uh, I do. Kern, the guy who beat the shit out of him previously. <laughs> um, anyways, have a little rematch. Tiberius tells Grog that he would encourage his violence. That 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 he would encourage his violence, which causes uh, a smile across the Goliath's face. And then he just runs off to try to find Kern. The others have to keep up with him. Uh, He stops when he reaches the Crucible, and a small group of Bastions notice the Dragonborn flying overhead because Tiberius follows Grog with the fly spell. Because... Because Tiberius... Tiberius. (laughs) Uh, Because Tiberius is that asshole tourist in a foreign country. Yeah, we've... Previously talked about how arcane magic is forbidden, or at least at the very least frowned at upon. At great lengths, it has been mentioned so many times. And just... And yet... Out of and... casual nature, Tiberius casts a fly spell and follows after Grog. Actually, I recall the look on Matt's face when he did that. <laughs> I cast fly. Are you sure? Yes? Okay. okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's just... And that that is that is a that is a person that is a character who does not re- retain information he doesn't deem important, as we've mentioned previously. And in this case, the banning of arcane magic apparently wasn't important, <laughs> which you would think would be an important thing for you know a sorcerer, a sorcerer to remember. You'd think. Uh, <laughs> Jesus Christ. Um. Yeah. That was the thing that happened. So yeah, he's flying overhead and Vex reminds him to dial back on the magic use and he floats down to the ground. Uh, Grog looks around the looks around the area and we're just kind of, it's in the middle of, it's midday and there's no fighting going on and bellows out, Kern at the top of his voice. One of the bartenders comes out and recognizes Grog instantly and runs inside to spread the word as Keyleth yells, fight outside, <laughs> drawing more looks and talk. <laughs> Keyleth is the best worst promo person ever. And I think that's exactly how she did. She just went outside and went, fight! Um, As you do. Uh, Head Bastion of Court comes out and makes it clear that the challenge is wanted. And when Grog confirms, he sends an an underling to get Kern for the fight. Grog tosses his coin purse to the bookie and jumps into the ring. Scanlan bets against Grog, very quietly, and Percy, Ti- Percy Tiberius, uh, Vex, and Keyleth all place bets on Grog. As others toss their, monies, uh, their money to the bookie, Kern finally makes his way to the arena, seeing his greatest rival there. When we say greatest, we just mean Grog. Only. Right. Only. <laughs> yeah. oh, I, talk- that's not fair. I'm sure, that, I'm sure that Kern has other rivals that we've just yeah, never heard of. True. 
It's probably true. World building. Um, he taunts Grog about the metal before jumping in the ring. Kern pulls a wine skin and drinks most of it while Grog asks him to share a drink. He tosses him a portion, but Grog pours it out and drinks his own wine, which is all, which is, is actually a potion of stone giant strength. Uh, which is a little bit of cheating, but... A little uh, bit? A little bit. A little bit of cheating. Feeling his muscles swell, he smiles at the bastion. It's the little bit kind of cheating that got the entire Russian Olympic team banned. <laughs> You're right. <laughs> PED use, people. <laughs> and this is how you know our podcast is relevant. We're referencing current events. Uh, that's actually uh, a really good question. From a, it, how far do you take? Uh, uh, buff spells until it does become performance-enhancing drugs. Actually, no, at like all, <laughs> any of them at all. Grog is Anderson Silva right now. <laughs> <laughs> okay, <laughs> Grog is Chael Sonnen. I mean, <laughs> as we get into unintentional, as we get into unintentional uh, uh, um, uh, conversation <laughs> topics about the world. Um, uh, uh, feeling his muscles swell he turns to the bastion and announces to them both uh, Philip is dead there is only Grog the vengeful (laughs) and that's enough to get the crowd sent over the edge because if anybody can do a good wrestling promo it's Grog yep um but it's it's he's very he's very kane or undertaker-esque in his in his promos though he doesn't talk much just Mm -hmm. right just enough He's he he's no ultimate warrior, is what we're saying. No, that's the that's the barbarian I'm making. Uh, <laughs> oh God! A human barbarian who climbs trees, who rage climbs trees, and elbow drops on his enemies, and speaks only in wrestling promos. He's oh called, dear God! He's called the ultimate barbarian. Oh, that's right. I did see you mention. <laughs> oh, Jesus Christ, man! <laughs> Anyways. Uh, so the the crowd begins to scream and chant uh, around the braving grounds, and the two exchange some nasty glares before charging each other and throwing punches. Uh, uh, and they they have a good fight. Uh, uh, and we actually do some legitimate wrestling moves. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> as as, as uh, Grog suplexes Kern, um, and uh, Kern uh, uh, bites himself in order to get uh, apparently to get a rage going. Um, as you do, as you know, as as one is wont to do, um, and, and he moves forward and takes a few quick strikes. But unlike previously, there's a method to his attacks. It appears that Kern has learned a little bit of monk skills in this in the time that he's been gone, um, or at the very least, has learned the tavern brawling feat. <laughs> um, and they exchange blows back and forth. Uh, mm-hmm. And, and and as we, rather than going through the entire details of the fight, although the fight's really good, I do want to talk a little bit about uh, 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 in-ring psychology, which is something that, that Jeremy knows a little bit about. Yeah. Uh, and common... that Jack may have heard of once. <laughs> <laughs> so in-ring psychology is, uh, it's, it's... Fuck it's, you, I watched Glow. It's... <laughs> hey, that is valid. That is a... it's valid. It's valid. also, people have seen, watch fucking Glow. Yeah, it's good. <laughs> so good. Sorry. Um, but it's it's a, it's a method of storytelling uh, in in you know, primarily in 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 shows that have a lot of fights, but primarily the, the term was coined 
owned by WWE. Yeah, it's a professional wrestling. wrestling. It's a professional wrestling term. Um, You can can explain it, Jeremy, because you know it better than I do. So psychology is the act of when you're watching a match, um, a professional wrestling match, WWE, independent stuff, New Japan, whatever it's, whatever the case. Um, there are two different ways a match can go. It can just be random moves strung together, um, in big, big moves to, to, to pop the crowd, as they say, um, the big aerial stuff and, and, and things like that. And that's a way you can go. And then <laughs> I'm going to be a little judgmental here, but then there's the proper way to do it, which is using the moves to tell a story. Uh, wrestling at its core is storytelling. Um, and because when you're in the, when you actually have a match going, there isn't, uh, I will say there isn't a lot of dialogue. Um, it does, it does happen occasionally. Um, but the way that you are, the way that you are telling the story and the way that you are, uh, getting people emotionally invested into a match is by creating a story, whether it is the, um, uh, uh, the, 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 the tag team match where the heels are, um, uh, the guy in the ring distracts the ref while the other one, uh, uh, sneaks around and, uh, interferes and, and does illegal stuff. So you're building the case for the underdog comeback or whether it is a, like a David and Goliath story or whatever the case may be. There are a surprising variety for people who don't, who, who aren't familiar with wrestling, surprising variety of stories that you can tell just based on how matches are put together. Um, so at, at, at its base level, uh, psychology in a match is simply how you tell a story to get people more than just watching, watching people flip around a ring or, or, uh, any kind of worked, uh, 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 combat sport essentially. Yeah, and it's it's something I'm a big advocate for as a fight choreographer. Um, it, it's something that any so we're talking about wrestling here, but this translates into into narrative storytelling because when you are when you are filming a fight sequence for a movie or a TV show, or you are writing a combat scene for a, for a book. Um, there are good ways you can do that. And there are really bad ways you can do that. Um, I, there are as much as we shit on him. One of the things that I think Ari Salvatore is very good at <laughs> is psychology in his fight, in, in his fight scenes, his fight scenes flow very well and are well, constructed to the point that 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 you understand what's going on and you're interested in the battle yeah and he and he does it in such a way that it ties together the story that the character is going through. exactly in the um in the underdark trilogy the the sort of the prequel books to drist's whole saga 
it actually spends quite a lot of time with him training how to fight. Mm -hmm. And one particular thing that he's doing, what he, you know, he's got this move uh, called the double cross down, which is a, which is a defensive, uh, uh, a defensive parry with two swords that he, he knows how to do it, but it's never quite right. And he's Mm -hmm. not doing it right. Or at least what he doesn't think is right. Um, and there's actually, there's actually a good portion of the book that's dedicated to him figuring this thing out. And when he finally figures it out, you're right there with him, you know, in the, in that feeling of, of triumph and success when he, oh, if I do this extra thing afterwards, it's suddenly a lot more effective than it would have been otherwise. Yep. Um, and that's, that. like I said, as a fight choreographer, whenever I'm doing theater or, choreograph- or choreographing fights in theater, there's a lot of that psychology that happens because as, uh, if, if you've ever read, if you've ever read Shakespeare, actually read the, the scripts, um, you'll notice that whenever there's a fight scene, the script says they fight. They fight. <laughs> yeah. That's it. So, and then, and then it continues on. Yeah, um, it's up to you to make that interesting. Yeah, mm-hmm. so you, the, the, there's an art to telling additional story and additional yep. content in that fight. Well, yeah, because and especially as fights relate to narrative, the point of a narrative is to tell a story. Now, you have to figure out what is the point of the fight in this story. If the point of the fight is merely and simply to establish a victor that can be established with one blow, one punch, one, just, just one movement. Yeah. And the one who's standing is the victor move on. That's all the story needs. So if you're going to have an extended fight scene, there should be a point to it. It should explore more about the characters than just which one of them is faster, stronger, better trained, whatever. Because that can be resolved inside of a five-second blip. Yep. And in this fight in particular, throughout the throughout um, throughout the whole fight, uh, what we get is we have Kern, who is sort of a scrappy, agile monk-style fighter. Uh, going up against this huge, you know, hulking Goliath barbarian. And so we have very much a Muhammad Ali uh, versus um, uh, the guy that made the oven things. George Foreman. 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 We have very much an Ali Foreman. (laughs) (laughs) The guy who who made the oven thing. They're they're actually grills. I got got that wrong, too. But I don't know why I couldn't think of the word Foreman. (laughs) <laughs> um rumble but, in the jungle thing is what you're thinking. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh and and with you know with Kern being, you know, very agile and moving out of the way and, and punching and hitting and using this, you know, uh uh taking, you know, taking blows and keep going and Grog just trying to keep up with him and in, you know, getting winded even though he's got all this strength from the potion that he wore that he that he drank. Um, For our listeners, I know marginally more about boxing than I do about professional wrestling. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> Very slim margin. <laughs> um, eventually, over the co- uh, in, in, in the course of the fight, by the way, we also have some external ring storytelling. Um, as Scanlan gives Grog some inspiration halfway through the fight, which is yep. also cheating. And I think Keyleth tries yep. to heal him. Oh my god. That whole <laughs> So that's on uh, 
the fight itself is great, and I love the, I love the sort of mini redemption thing that that's going on with Grog with with trying to trying to win this fight and how important it is to him. My favorite part of it is 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 the rest of Vox Machina's reaction to it reactions to it. Um, and Keyleth and and Tiberius being absolute idiots and like constantly trying to interfere. And what happens with that, which I'm sure we'll which, get into which is, shortly. Which is right now. So in the middle yeah. of this fight, uh, in the middle of this fight, uh, as um, as Grog is repeatedly punching Kern in the nuts, um, t- uh, Keyleth tells uh, the, the group to begin to chant. And as they chant, she tries to cast a healing spell. But a Bastion sees her and slams her hand across her wrists. And basically tells her that she's going to be going with him. Yep. Uh, Bastions, as a reminder, being the guards of the place. Data, um, data, popo. Yeah, please. Tiberius tries to talk him, tries to talk him out of it, and offering him a small amount of coin, and is then also slapped in manacles and dragged away from the ring because he tried to bribe a police officer. So we had someone who we had Keyleth trying to fix a fight, and Tiberius trying to bribe a police officer. See, the thing is, they did it in the wrong order. You have to get yeah. the officers first, and once you've established they're corrupt, then you can fix the fight. There you go. Um, which... Some of us had a father that grew up in Jersey, y'all. <laughs> uh, and, and Grog does not notice any of this. He's focused on beating <laughs> no, the shit out of Carl. Is he trying to beat the shit out of a half-orc? As you do. Um... Uh, and 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 in an effort, and shortly after, in an effort to cheer him on, Vex flashes him. Yep. Because uh, well that Sam. happened. The the far side of the crucible. Everybody on the other side of the arena from Vex cheers loudly. So so does Scanlan. Um, and Grog, apparently distracted, misses another blow. Mm-hmm. Um, and we 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 eventually come to the end of the fight. With Grog power bombing Kern into the ground. Yep. Um, uh, Grog victorious cl- uh, leaves Kern unconscious in the middle of the arena, uh, and I believe he ripped off his ear or a lip. Lip. Bit, bit, bit off some of his lip, but that was earlier in the fight. Um, and then with lip in tow, uh, that's toe T O W, not T O E. Um. <laughs> <laughs> Goes to the bookie to collect his winnings, as Grog is now the victorious. Um, the crowd cheers and jeers and then falls silent as a rope man steps through them and removes his hood. Gives Grog a nod and then steps back into the crowd, being you know leaving as fast as he appeared. Uh, clerics, the the clerics around hustle into the ring and begin to cast healing spells on um on uh uh. Kern, Kern, Kern and one of the clerics tries to reattach Grog's lip, which was bit, which Kern bit off. Um, it's not strongly attached, but they say that it should heal in 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 day in 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 a few days. Uh, Grog Just gets his winning. Don't do anything, yeah, yeah. Don't do anything strenuous with that lip. Mm-hmm. Don't do anything strenuous with that lip. Um, Bookie gives Grog his winning, which totals over five thousand gold. Um, uh. Which Vex sees and asks for the money she lost in the last fight to be paid back with eyes sim- uh, resembling a dragon covering its horde. <laughs> uh, AKA Vex's normal look. Yeah, uh-huh. whenever money's whenever money's concerned. 
Uh, Grog congratulates his opponent on an incredible fight, and Vex tells him, good luck with your dick, as Kern whimpers in pain. Uh, so here's the thing I want to bring up on mm-hmm. that. Vex and the money. Mm-hmm. What are your guys, obviously this is much more of a uh, performance art kind of thing, rather than like a, a novel writing thing or something of that sort, but having a performer inform the character. Because uh, it was, we have, we have I, to... I suspect that Vex, the character's obsession with money and making sure she's got all access to all of that, I am pretty sure that's a Laura Bailey thing. Yeah, we, we, we've talked yes. about, we've talked right. about uh, Vex's personality before. I think we touched on it right. a little bit. But yeah, no, that, mm-hmm. that, that is 100% a Laura Bailey thing. Yeah. Um, in fact, she like did a she did a a video telling people how to save money at how to save money and bargain better at flea markets. Flea markets, right? Yeah, um, part of her signal boost thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, well, and, and and that's actually a thing that happens quite a lot. Um, right. Every in, in performance art, yeah, in performance, in, art, yeah. in, performance in particular, in in, in in films and in films and theater and things like that. Well, yeah, it's it's, it's it's one of the reasons why you go see a show live, mm-hmm. um, even if. You You've seen it before um, because every actor brings something different to their interpretation of a role. Yeah. And it's the differences in it's the differences in interpretation that make for repeat viewing on, uh, on like Broadway shows and, and local community theaters and things like that. Uh, every, for instance, how many people have seen a Christmas Carol a thousand times? Right. How many people have their favorite Christmas Carol? Yep. And how many of those Christmas carols are the same one? How many times have we debated on who was the best slash worst Batman? Yeah, I was going to, that was exactly the one I was going <laughs> to like, yeah. not, not even necessarily that, but you know, people complain about reboots and remakes and, and that all the time. And there are valid reasons to be annoyed by that shit. But one of the reasons that we do it is because we're interested in seeing other unique takes on these characters and every performer makes the character their own, whether it's, you know, we could spend, we could spend a multi multi episode podcast just talking about, you know, uh, um, Ben Affleck versus Michael Keaton versus Christian Bale versus, George Clooney, Val Kilmer, Adam yeah, West, like, right? Yeah, <laughs> um, uh, Kevin Conroy, and mm-hmm. so on and so forth, um, because they all brought something different to the role. And it wasn't it wasn't just the script, it wasn't just the direction, it was what they as individuals brought into the character. Yeah. Um, and we may just do that because we now have a uh, those of you that listen to all of our content a pilot episode for Legend Lore a new ep- a new podcast that we are trying that we're seeing if people are interested in where we might just spend one episode talking about the various differences in Batman. Uh, but yeah, the uh, the 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 differences that people bring to their roles are what makes them unique. Like yep. Uh, yep. any any two like I as an example, if Jeremy and I rolled up human fighters. <laughs> if, if. If Jeremy and I rolled up human fighters with the soldier background. Right. 
guarantee, even if we picked the same personality traits or whatever, like from the from the background uh, tables, I guarantee those two fighters would be about as different as any other character could be. Because we approach that archetype from two different perspectives and two different angles. And that is what makes those two that that's what would make those two characters both interesting to watch in different ways. Because now, I rolled up you know, a human fighter with the soldier background, it would end up being a dwarf monk. <laughs> but the, 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 so that's kind of the, that's kind of the thing there uh, as to, to, to go back to what Jack said, every actor brings different things and that's what makes that character unique and interesting. Yep. Um, just as an example, going back to Christmas Carol, I played Scrooge a few years ago when I was like 23. How many of you have ever seen a 23-year-old Scrooge in A Christmas Carol? No, no. ours was was probably 17. <laughs> well, yeah, that's 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 high school. That's <laughs> totally different. In in and what I mean is Scrooge himself was right. 23. Right. Played as a 23-year-old individual rather than mm-hmm. a 17-year-old dressed up like an old man. Right. Yeah. Um, and so that, like, just that alone brings a different energy to the character that has been the same as written uh, for since Dickens wrote it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, the, just the changes and differences and, and the influences that actors have on their characters are what make them special and unique, what's make them alive. It's those, yeah. little, it's those little tweaks that you can't write. Mm-hmm. So that's that. Yep. I don't know if anybody has anything else to add. Nope, that was pretty much it. Nope. Um, so the group collect their winnings um, uh, as Scanlan tries to persuade the bookie that he had bet on Grog. <laughs> but without using magic, he's unable to convince him. Uh, and then they get a message via earrings from Tiberius and go to find where the two of them were taken. Vex locates the building and leads everyone over, and she knocks, and the bastion of the door tells her that they were caught cheating on the fight. Uh, she convinces them that they are her charges, and Burt Reynolds, Vex's attorney, tells the man that he has that he has often def- that he often defends mental patients. Uh, <laughs> now, this is the first time we've actually seen Burt Reynolds in play. We'd seen him referenced yes. before, right. but this is the first time we've seen the gloriousness that <laughs> is Burt Reynolds, <laughs> attorney Burt at law. <laughs> so, yeah, Sc- so Scanlon has a persona. That persona is Burt Reynolds. Attorney, it's small. And the, actually, there's a question here to be had. Uh, how do the two of you feel on the subject of characters? How do the two of you feel about inherent meta references in a character? So it's funny that you mentioned this. I a, a while back, I don't remember what episode it was. But I was gonna, I was gonna ask about it at that point, and uh, I didn't for whatever reason. Um, but this is something that I thought about in relation to this podcast. Um, I mean, there. So this is where we're, where you start talking about the difference between um, homage, ripping off, satire, parody, spoof, etc., etc., etc. Yeah. Um. I don't my. I know that people's tastes on this are, are going to vary. I am a pop culture junkie. 
So I appreciate a good uh, a, a good pop culture reference. Um, as long as I think, as long as it's within reason, you don't want that kind of thing to get. Uh, you don't want to become a, a a a scary movie or a memes the D and D game. Yeah, or even worse, a superhero movie or or. Uh, any of those Friedberg seltzer parodies where basically all they do is reference other movies in ways that aren't even really jokes. A, 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 um, a referential movie, if you would. Yeah. But if you, if you, if you, I, I, I appreciate it in terms of like, you have to have some kind of, when you're do- when you're doing any kind of storytelling, you have to have some kind of uh, 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 humor moment. Um, you need something in order to 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 keep the emotional beats going correctly. Um, and if it is appropriate to your story, I I don't I never see a problem with this. If it's appropriate, I mean, you wouldn't have wanted something like, uh, uh, you wouldn't want like a dramatization of, like, you wouldn't have wanted, uh, uh, what, what was the movie with Jake Gyllenhaal that came out as uh, stronger about the, the Boston Marathon bombing, um, to suddenly throw in a, 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 you know, specifically in there because it's a meta joke, meta joke. Mm-hmm. Um, that's not the appropriate forum for that. <laughs> but if it fits and if it's like, you know, a, 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 a popcorn movie or a popcorn book or, or whatever the case may be, feel free to do it. I think that it generally works. Yeah, it's it's one of those context sensitive yeah. kind of techniques. Um I I love a good referential humor or even a, a completely referential work of fiction. Um, you know, there's there's things uh that you can say about like American Gods. American Gods is almost mm-hmm. completely referential in its own way. You know, it's all callbacks and exploration of things other people have created mythological creatures and characters that you know none of which are original to neil gaiman or to whichever channel it's on showtime or whatever stars or whatever stars right um so in that sense it's completely referential but because that is part of the context and that's what's assumed pretty much as soon as you kick open the door on this this uh piece of creation it works just fine and it's handled in not sort of a tongue-in-cheek, hey, look at all the things in pop culture I know about. But that one, of course, is a very sort of <clears throat> literary fiction that also happens to be referential. So there's great ways that it can be done where it can increase the drama and stakes of, of a work of fiction. Or you have things like this where, you know, it's a <laughs> let's be honest, it's a bunch of nerdy-ass voice actors sitting around a table playing Dungeons and & Dragons and laughing at each other. Um, yep. You know, and, but since that's what we're here for, having Scanlan <laughs> take on the persona of somebody called Burt Reynolds, 
it's entertaining, but it's not jarring. You know, that is right. a, that is a very Scanlan slash Sam Regal sort of thing to do. Again, yeah. we're sort of calling back to how the performer affects and informs the character. So, you know, where whereas if if you're doing a stage production of Twelfth Night and it's all very period and stuff, but the director decides that, you know, Viola's character is going to call herself Burt Reynolds, that's going to be jarring so, for the audience if that's like the only thing in there and everything mm-hmm. is pretty much standard classic Shakespeare. So, so you're you know, saying my you're saying my theater teacher's production of King Lear via method of Pink Floyd's uh one of Pink Floyd's albums was a bit much? Well, that depends on how I, you it. I mean, <laughs> that's the other part about it, though, is it's about execution. So I'm going to throw right. out two, two, two film references, one of which is also a, a book reference. Um, as an example of where it was done wrong, and conceivably it is not yet, but conceivably where it's been, where it's done right. And where, uh, uh it, I know, I know. We might even get argued about it here, but uh, 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 Sucker Punch, okay. Zack Snyder's film. Uh-huh. That is an example. You can watching that. That that is a series of meta references, loosely t- loosely threaded into. Uh, I suppose you could technically call it a story. Um, there's a beginning, a middle, and an end. Yeah. Yes. Um. But but that is an example of where it's done wrong, and you know, like with the 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 scary movie disaster. Well, not for a scary movie, but like the disaster movie, epic movie, date movie, the the superhero movie, superhero movie, whatever the stupid Twilight one was. Vampires suck. Those are examples where it's done wrong. Meanwhile. Uh, and I have not read the book, I will say, but uh, uh, based on people I know who have read it and based on the trailer, Ready Player One is basically, from what I can tell, sort of very similar in terms of meta references one after the other. And that has a very good reputation. There seems to be a lot of enthusiasm for the film. So that seems to be an example of where it's done right. So the the difference I will say... I'm going to flip on you on this in, one, Jeremy, that, because I prefer Sucker Punch to Ready Player One. I knew, I I had a feeling. <laughs> well, and, and the, the difference that I'll point out there is that in, in Ready Player One, all of the air quote meta references are in-universe. Yes. Like, they're, they're not... They're not like in this particular case, Burt Reynolds doesn't exist theoretically, in, right? As we know it, doesn't exist in Alexandria, right? Um, but video games exist in Ready Player One, yes. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's this, and and I think just to sort of cap this off because this is a thing we could, uh, this is again a thing we could go on forever about. Uh huh. Um, but uh, places, examples of things where you don't necessarily want it to happen are if you are at a D&D table and you've got uh you're playing classic Faerun D&D and you've got three characters that are super in character in universe names and in universe names and in universe stuff and are and are doing all of their like like I am in this world I'm doing this the the air quotes traditional way 
You don't then want to have a player over here uh, saying, hi, my name is Bob McEdgelord and I'm a warlock. Right. And, and like sort of sort of that level of meta is where it uh, is where it uh, begins to break down, I feel. <laughs> yeah, um, no, as, as far as that goes, yeah, it's once again, it, honestly, for me, it all comes back to context. Yeah. Um, you know, yeah, no, there's there's some super fucking problematic things about about Sucker Punch. Um, and I know that my hatred for Ready Player One is mostly because, well, we can get into that rant another time. Um, that'll be for Legend Lore. That'll be for Legend Lore. <laughs> Once I've read the book and or, or or seen the movie, one of the two. Three hours on why you shouldn't let a neckbeard nerd from your game store write a book that then gets made into a movie. <laughs> um, yeah. All right. So Bart Reynolds convinces uh, the guards uh, uh, the basically uh, gets the Bastion to agree to release them if they if they pay the fine of 500 golds, uh, which Vex pays. Not happily about it, but she pays. Um, Scanlan tells him that the paperwork's going to go away and the, the guard begins speaking in Draconic. And I don't remember if that's ever explained. Say that again. The guard, the Bastion begins speaking in Draconic. No, I don't think it, it is. And I don't think it's ever explained why. Nope. Well, but that's one of those things. Do you need to explain why? You don't necessarily no. need to. But right. it was it was sort of a thing that sort of it's a thing that sort of sticks out. Yeah. Um mm-hmm. you know, typically draconic is a is a thing that NPCs don't speak unless they are A a dragon, B related to a dragon, or C a spellcaster. Or D have a name. Uh <laughs> <laughs> Despite the fact they, that with, a with, lot of with the them all free, they head back to the Bell's Respite for Keyleth and Tiberius. Uh, so, Keyleth, so Keyleth and Tiberius can collect the money they're owed. Uh, uh-huh. Grog looks around for a young fan and offers them a gold coin, uh, which they accept. And then he produces the medal that Kern had sent him after the last fight, telling him to make sure that he gets <laughs> to Kern. You know, just rubbing salt in the wound. Yep. Um. Uh, and having gotten out all the money. Out of ring psychology. Out of ring psychology at that point. Uh, having gotten all their money, Percy asks that they gets that he gets some ore and possibly black powder so that he can make some additional ammunition for his guns. Uh, before that, they ask about the man who appeared at the end of the fight, and they're told that he is Earthbreaker Groom, the highest cleric of court and leader of the entirety of this section of Vasselheim. Being that he gave a nod of affirmation to him, Grog decides that it wouldn't be a terrible idea to visit the man. Percy asks about and is directed to an odd fellow that ha- that would have black powder, uh, though he appears to be the only person in the town that has it. When they arrive, they are greeted by a spindly old man who can only be described as eccentric. <laughs> Welcome, Victor, everybody's favorite NPC. With um, Matt Mercer dragging this odd mixture of southern, of, of western, like old school, old western prospector and madman accent out of his wherever that came from. <laughs> it's like if Yukon Cornelius turned into an Igor from Frankenstein. Kind of, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, he ushers Percy in, showing him the black powder that he has. And, uh, and uh, Percy, seeing that a thin layer of it covers pretty much everything, asks about a hog's head worth of it, uh, which then causes Victor to produce an actual hollowed out hog's head, uh, which he fills with powder. Uh, it points out that a friend can sell him the, uh, that that uh, 
Um, and then points out that there's a friend nearby that can sell him iron ore and shoves him out the door, slamming it shut. Confused and covered in explosive powder, they head to the brick, they head over to Samson, uh, and to, to, to get some iron ore. Uh, Percy knocks, but doesn't want to enter because he doesn't want to catch fire and blow up. Uh, uh, and tells him that they were directed here by Victor, or the old coot, as he calls him. <laughs> After a bit of quick discussion, Percy leaves a large amount of iron ingots, and then they head to the trial forge so that Grog can have a chat with Brigger Groon. Um, as Scanlan, the twins, and Grog approach, the guards outside tells him to stop. He doesn't want to let them in, but upon mention of Grog being the champion of the Crucible, the man sends a cleric inside to ask about it. A middle ear there ushered inside and are waved forward by a bastion who is either taken a vow of silence or is mute. Uh, they follow him down a massive hall as a few priests and clerics pass them wearing similar robes of red and gold motif. Soon they reach a point where a second large hallway intersects, and uh, in the center is a large raised platform with or the Earthbreaker seated upon it in a trance of some kind. Uh, Grog approaches alone, being the only one allowed, me being the only one allowed to. Uh, and as he does, the man springs up with a quick, easy movement and looks at Grog with eyes that glow silver, as saying, "What? What do you ask of me?" Uh, Grog asks for nothing, but says that if he ever needs Fox Machina, it's at, that they're at his disposal. Um, closes his eyes and opens them, the glow's gone, and he tells Grog that dark times are ahead, and many evil minds are coming to this world through many veils. He says there will be a day when he calls on them, and that they need to stay alive until that time. Satisfied with what he did, Grog rushes back to the rest of the group, and they hustle back down the corridor and out of the temple. Um, where they reunite with the rest and uh, and briefly exchange information. Yep. Uh-huh. As they talk, Tiberius begins fucking shit up again. Because <laughs> fucking Tiberius. Um, anyway. Tiberius has drawn a sigil on the ground and begins to cast a teleportation spell they had previously used to escape the Underdark. Because... You know, this is the point with Tiberius. I'm not going to say this is the point where I got annoyed with Tiberius because that is that that is in the rearview mirror, dude. That is that is <laughs> just about every moment that Tiberius is speaking. But this is a point with this thing specifically that I just threw my hands up and was done. Like this is. Again, talking about talking about you know narrative archetypes, there are good ways. There are things that we've talked about in the past that Tiberius really represents a certain type of character, and there's value in that character. That said, this is at this point he's Carl from The Walking Dead. He is, um. <laughs> Uh, he is that character who doesn't learn and just keeps doing the same irritating shit over and over and over again until you've just had it with him. Yeah. And there, there is a certain amount of leeway you can give that kind of a character because they do mm-hmm. serve a purpose. Like, the yeah. character that doesn't learn is typically the character that dies horribly so the other characters learn. The only problem, yep. the only problem comes when that character either never learns or doesn't die. Right. Yeah. And the, the idea of 
I mean, Tiberius right now is sort of the personification of that Jurassic Park meme, you know, the whole, you were so obsessed with the idea that you could do it, that you didn't stop to think that uh-huh. you could do it. Um, and while that has, while that has value in a narrative, it usually doesn't have a lot of revalue. In no. Um, at least not in the same character. Because characters are supposed to learn, they're supposed to evolve. That's that's how narrative works. It's what happened. Here is a person. Something happens to them. How does that change them? Yep. Um, and if that character, and if the answer to that last question is it doesn't, that's usually kind of a one note story. Yeah, character. But the next stagnated. story you have to t- that you tell about that character. You can't just have the same answer every single time. Otherwise, it's repetitive and boring. Mm-hmm. Slash yeah. irritating, slash frustrating, slash all the other emotions that are frequently uh, cast Tiberius's direction. Both yes. Cast and many other people in the world. And yeah, and, and, and that's that's and that's something for everybody to learn, not just writers, but uh, yeah, like writers especially need to know that, um, but also other players of D. And other mm-hmm. games. Like mm-hmm. it's important that you're now now it's important that your character learns. It's also important that your character learns um it, 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 that being said, your character doesn't have to spontaneously change attitude every day. No, of course no, not. not at all. Uh, there is a difference between learn. There's a difference between learning from the events that happened to you and and overreacting to the things that happened to you, which uh, are sometimes bleed into each other. But yes, um, in this case, so like, it would for have been instance, as if your as... character has an issue with authority, you can keep them having issues with authority, and that might be a a character aspect that doesn't really change or not change very strongly. Mm-hmm. Um, but if the first time they have an issue with authority, it's them trying to wrestle a gun away from a police officer, there's probably going to be a lot of fallout and a lot of negative consequences from that. And it doesn't mean they decide, oh, then I guess, you know, offic- officers of the law should always be respected. It doesn't mean they're going to like police officers from that point. Right. Forward. But if the next day or week, or whatever story it is, the next time you see this person, they are once again trying to wrestle a gun away from a police officer. What was the point of the first story then? Yeah. yeah. Um, like, that's the whole thing, is when you... In terms of, of, of storytelling, you have a certain amount of space, whatever that space is that you have, that, that, that you designate, whether it's a TV season or whether it's a two hour movie or a, however long your book is going to be, you have a finite amount of real, real estate with, in which to tell your story. If you are constantly revisiting the same thing, that is that is space that could be used for something else. And so if there's not a point to it beyond, oh, look how this character keeps fucking up, then it, it it's not only inefficient storytelling, it's it's actively irritating because it is shortchanging your storyline, your other characters, your themes, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. 
as an example, this this. is frequently why reality TV shows do not get awards for writing. Yeah, because this is the bread and butter of reality TV shows. Yeah, every episode same old shit. Right? Yeah. Oh well, something happened, so I guess that person's probably going to misinterpret the comment. Yep, and then that person's going to call them a bitch. Yep, and that you know, and you know that because that is the exact thing that has happened for the preceding ten episodes. Yep. So anyway. Did we lose John? No, I think my connection just sort of went weird. Okay. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I heard bits and pieces of what you were saying, but okay. I, I'm pretty certain it was on my end, so Craig heard it. That's all. okay. It's been doing that. It's been doing that for me constantly too. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but yeah, the, and and to just just to add on to whatever Jack just said. Um, if you <laughs> If you want an example of characters who never learn and thus make the story less interesting, Pixels. Oh, God. Fuck that movie so hard. In which Adam Sandler's character learns nothing, does nothing, and somehow comes away with the girl. I mean, that's Adam Sandler movies in a nutshell. Yep. Isn't that most of his stuff? Adam Sandler's entire career is a lack of character development because they are it's this constant story of characters who do nothing, learn nothing, and somehow win and get the girl. Yeah. Except Waterboy, that movie's fucking awesome. Anyways. <laughs> uh so Tiberius drew a teleportation circle on the ground and they teleported out. Appearing back at the Traverse Junction in Iman, saving them time of magical travel. And also, you know, get, being a giant middle finger to the city that they just left. Right? Um, they are greeted by the same clerk who was there when they last came into the room. Uh, he is less pleased to see them, but demands that they fill out paperwork this time. Vax fills out paperwork while Vex does her damnedest to not allow the clerk to get, to get in the last word. <laughs> Grog moves the group along, slowly pushing them out of the Lyceum and into the street, and they head straight through town, making their way towards home. When they arrive, they notice a small tent set up outside the gate. As they talk to their guards, they see a young human face appear, then disappear back inside. Vex approaches the tent as the man pops again pops out and stands face to face with her. After fail after falling all over himself uh, at meeting the group, he introduces himself as Kynan Lior, son of Harold the Butcher. He is trained for months with the former captain of the guard, and he wishes to become a member of Vox Machina. Tiberius smiles at him, waves a hand, then walks into the keep uh, while the young man talks to Vex. Vax sneaks behind the boy and whacks him in the back of the head with the butt of his dagger because Vax is an asshole. I mean... Child abuse. <laughs> yes. Child abuse, also child abuse. So at this point, and I want to talk about this point for just a minute. <laughs> because I remember... Uh, I th- I, I'm pretty sure we were all watching live at this point. I don't remember. Um, Okay. I I wasn't watching live at this point, but I was, I, I did watch it eventually. (laughs) Um, I remember when this happened and this was like, this is one of the, this is one one of the first like super, super controversial moments that didn't involve uh, 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 Keela third or Tiberius. (laughs) 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 Because people like to hate on Keyleth and, 
Tiberius. Tiberius. <laughs> um, I loved this moment so much because a. And what rule book does it say that our characters have to be nice? Pe- our, our our heroes oh. have to be nice people all the time. None at all. Alignment. And- <laughs> Hang on a second. No, no. I'm- I will. I will throw out the axiom that lawful good does not mean fucking lawful nice. I'm. I was mostly just. <laughs> I know. I know. <laughs> um, but and also because. This was a major character moment for Vax. Oh, yeah. Um, Vax has, up to this point, been mostly a fairly... Uh, I don't want to say jokey, but but good-humored, sort of... Uh, he liked doing, you know, sort of random shit here and there. Uh, uh, pranks and you know making jokes about his lava dissolved. Even a little foot. bit of a loose cannon. Yeah, yeah. This was sort of the first point where 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 Vax gets really serious and makes it clear that he understands the gravity and 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 weight of the kinds of things that they're doing. And I think that's why it was so controversial was because it seemed really out of character for Vax at the time. Yeah. But but you had kind of seen little elements of this here and there, and it felt real very real and authentic to me. Oh yeah. And this is this is the beginning of a um a direction that vague spoiler alert. Um, <laughs> vague spoiler alert. Vax is going to grow as a character as time goes on. Yeah, but this is the dire- beginning of a direction to a character that that starts turning Vax into one of the most interesting and well developed characters in the game, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, I, as far as this this scene goes, I only have a problem with it from like an ethics and morals. Stand. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, terrible right. from that. Right. It's it, right. But but as far as like narrative choices, character choices, um, sig- finally overtly signaling things that have just been hinted at or that are happening internally on a character, this is some gorgeous storytelling right here. Oh, yeah. Especially considering how much shock is on the faces of his co-stars. Yes. When when Liam starts playing this out in the way that makes sense for somebody who's living inside Vax's head. Yeah, yep. this is this is the moment where the facade falls away, mm-hmm. which is uh, which is a fairly common uh, storytelling trope. It's a good one, uh, which is where a character who has hitherto before hitherto behaved in a very particular way just out of nowhere drops to a different personality because that's what they've been building to internally. Um, and then to to complete the the event. Uh, Vax smacks him in the back of the head, knocking him unconscious, then grabs him, pours a healing potion down his down his throat to bring him back. Uh, and then getting right up in his face, tells him that what they do is not fun. Uh, that at any point they could die. And that if he and that if he really wants to do it, he needs to continue training, and that when he's ready, he can come back and get trained by the group. By Vax. Um the boy 
you know, eventually gets up and leave, grabs his stuff and leaves and tells him that he will come back. Um, and after he leaves, the team basically jumps down Vax's throat about it. Um, Tiberius is especially annoyed, telling Vax that he was far too aggressive with such a young man. <laughs> <laughs> this will become funny later. <laughs> a sentence that will be ridiculously <laughs> funny in hindsight. But oh. It'll give you some self-righteous proclamations from this very high horse upon which I happen to be seated. <laughs> Pay no attention to that pile of human feces. I'm going to take a head dive into that in a moment. But right now I'm speaking to you. <laughs> when we get to that point, we will be sure to call back to this moment. Uh, uh. <laughs> <sighs> The rest of the staff see that they have arrived home. And one of them sends a, me- one of them sends a message off via magical apartment. Somebody just room. assaulted a miner outside the gates. Ah, the owners must be back. <laughs> <laughs> they all settle it for a meal, enjoying being back home when the council member arrives. And he tells them that there will soon be a formal event to celebrate the building of a bridge connecting two kingdoms. He tells them the guest of honor will be Lord and Lady Briarwood, and since Percy has requested that he be informed that they were coming to town, Sigurd Ring thought he would like to know. Percy tells them that he that they will be there, then he excuses himself and disappears into his workshop. And that's the end of the episode. <laughs> Foreshadowing, and this is the beginning. This at the end here is the beginning of the next story arc. Yep. Um, which we'll uh-huh. be going into next week with episode 24. Which, for my money, uh, is one of the so, yeah, best as as, story so, arcs. <laughs> this was actually a pretty good episode, like except for Tiberius being an ass. This was actually a pretty good episode. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, I really dug this and, one because... And, and, and a lesson in what not to do... <laughs> Ever. Hmm? Yep. No, I really like this because... I'm a big fan of the emotional reset episodes after a major arc. Um, uh, this is something we reference it many times before, but this is something that Buffy does really, really well. Um, when w- after you've had, you know, the the usually the um, uh, you're that show and and Angel and a couple other shows will wrap would wrap up the plot in the penultimate episode um not always but uh, but often and then the final episode would be an emotional reset uh, the denouement um and set up things to come and that's exactly what happened here and i think that it was done really really effectively yeah um we will uh I forgot my, my discord decided to fuck up again and I completely lost my train of thought. Hang on. <laughs> yeah, it's gone. Anyways, that was okay. good episode. <laughs> <laughs> I'm blaming Craig. Yeah, we can do that. Anyways, we can totally do that. 
So yeah, we'll be back. Uh, as a note for those listening to this, if you like this kind of discussion, you want to hear us discuss other things. Like we've, we've talked a couple of times about uh, various other movies we'd like to talk about, you know, mm-hmm. like a Star Wars rewatch and everything. That'd be, that'd be a lot of fun and interesting uh, uh, and painful, but in a good way. Um, <laughs> and sometimes in that good way. Especially with the new, I mean, especially with the new Star Wars. With the new out. Star Wars coming out yeah, yeah, tomorrow. Actually out, out now, right? Is it out now? Or is it uh, out no, no, it is. Uh, it is officially uh, out tomorrow quote unquote Friday but Thursday at like 6pm so uh, but um, those count in Friday grosses because yeah. Hollywood mm-hmm. yeah. yeah reasons <laughs> anyways well, let's um, just say as much as we hate on Drizzt don't even get us fucking started on that shitbag Binks <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, if you want to hear us talk about that or anything else that might be interesting from a variety of things, the pilot episode we talked about, uh, Battle for Azeroth, the Battle for Azeroth trailer for World of Warcraft, mm-hmm. um, doing some a, doing sort of a breakdown and, and dissection of that and what that could poss- potentially mean for the next expansion. Uh, if you want to hear us talk about you know at length about any number of topics, let us know. Uh, shoot us an email, talk to us on Twitter. Um, uh, and we will get that going. But the pilot episode just went up earlier today. Um, so get a listen if you haven't yet, uh, and let's what you think. Yep. Yeah, in the meantime, we'll see y'all next time. Say goodbye, everybody. Bye, everybody. Goodbye. <laughs> goodbye.